0: Welcome back. This is part two of uh, me asking Dr. Ovedia about keto. So, this is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Dr. Philip Ovedia is the uh, the resident expert. I'm Jack Heald, the talking hairdo. Hey, Phil.
1: <laughs> Good to be <laughs> I, back I, again, Jack. I I jacked
0: jacked myself up. <laughs> So, uh, last week we, we, we had a really good conversation in my mind about some of the common myths about, um, uh, the keto diet and being in ketosis. I loved that. I know we, we really went down a rabbit hole with, uh, cholesterol, but man, for me, that was, that was really educational. I'd encourage our listeners. If you haven't done so, man, listen to that episode. Really good. So uh, let's jump in. Some more of the fairly common myths about keto. Uh, Some of these I've heard. Some of them I haven't. Um, Some of them I've wondered about myself. Um, Here's one. Keto will cause inflammation. True or false? Definitely false. And, uh, you know, to the
1: contrary, uh, ketogenic diets can be one of the best Uh, treatments for uh, inflammation, inflammatory conditions. Um, We have seen evidence of things like rheumatoid arthritis, um, you know, which is an inflammatory condition, improving with ketogenic uh, diets, Um, autoimmune conditions, which oftentimes, you know, have a strong inflammatory component to them, Uh, Again, we have seen many of these improved and or reversed with ketogenic diets, and there really is no reason to uh, think that ketogenic diets are going to cause inflammation. Uh, The one caution that I guess, uh, you know, we need to give around this is, you know, as we talked about last week in the first episode, um, ketogenic diets can can have in them, uh, you know, things that are uh, not desirable to eat, you know, overall. And uh, specifically, when we start talking about the vegetable and seed oils, um, which can get incorporated into ketogenic diets, I mean, they are a a form of fat. And obviously, on the ketogenic diet, you're going to be uh, usually increasing your fat intake. And if you do this with, you know, low-quality, processed uh, fats like vegetable and seed oils uh, those can be pro inflammatory um, but uh, I you know again those are a major component of the standard American diet, so there's no reason that the a ketogenic diet is going to be more inflammatory than the standard American diet, and that 's another Pretty important point, I think, is that the standard yeah. American diet is very pro-inflammatory, uh, with you know all of the processed food that it incorporates. Uh, so, um, you know, I, this is one of those myths that I'm not sure where it would even come from. And uh, in reality, we see that the direct opposite of it is true. And if you have inflammation, then a ketogenic uh, diet is often going to be a you know, solution to your problem and certainly not worsen it.
0: Quick question. And I realize this may be outside your realm of expertise, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, is there a, a simple self-test that we can do at home for inflammation? Or is that just one of those things where go on a ketogenic diet and see if you feel better? That's the best yeah. way.
1: You know, uh, inflammation, uh, can be a little bit, uh, difficult to assess. Um, you know, there are blood markers certainly, uh, you know, that can be checked as part of your blood work. Uh, the one that I, I probably use most frequently is a blood marker called, uh, CRP, C-reactive protein. Uh, it's a general inflammation marker. There are some others, uh, that you can check as well. Um, you know, at home tests, um, you know, one marker of inflammation is, is puffiness, you know, anyone who's, uh, you know, (sighs) injured themselves, let's say twisted your ankle, and it gets inflamed, and it gets puffy. uh, We all know, you know, that as inflammation. Um, And it turns out that, you know, people who are walking around with high levels of inflammation, I commonly see it, you know, in the face. And, you know, you mm-hmm. have that kind of puffy face and then people go on these ketogenic, low carbohydrate, whole real food diets. And, you know, before they even start losing weight, uh, people will start asking them, what are you doing? You look so much better. And they don't really realize what's going on, but, you know, you can really see it in the face. And, you know, when I start working with my patients, that's oftentimes the first thing I'll see, you know, obviously, you know, I work with my patients via telemedicine and you know, we'll get on the uh the the Zoom call for the appointment and right away I'll be saying, "Oh, you know, I can tell you're doing great. I can just see it in your face." Uh and they're always kind of surprised by that. But uh so that I think maybe in terms of an at-home test is uh sort of the best way to assess your level of inflammation.
0: That makes sense. Um, As you know, I got married in November last year and I wanted a wedding ring. Um, And so Delon and I, you know, spent a lot of time trying to pick out wedding rings. I ended up ordering this one while ordering one that was actually a half size bigger than that. uh, Got it in, tried it on. It was, it was too big. And sent back for the next size down and, and got that one. That was November, right? So starting in Jan on January 1st, I started inspired by you. I went full carnivore just to try it. And I lost a little bit of weight. I I loved how I felt, but the thing that really kind of blew my mind was this ring that used to fit just fine now is way too big. I was in the shower the other day and it literally just fell off my finger. So, (laughs) and I'm not somebody that anybody would say is fat or overweight, but, but my knuckles actually have gotten smaller. This is my grandfather's ring and I really couldn't wear it prior to, to January when I, uh, when I went on this, this carnivore diet, I noticed, you know, when I realized this finger had gotten smaller, I thought, I'll bet I can wear my grandfather's ring. Sure enough. So just a little, uh, what's, what do they call that anecdotal evidence there?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, that, that is another, uh, thing that I notice as well, um, is, uh, you know, I've had the same experience and, and had to, you know, downsize my rings as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the days after I might eat something, you know, atypical for me, uh, I'll oftentimes notice the, the wedding ring gets a little tighter. Uh, uh, and, you know, so I, I,
0: I think you're on to something. So there that's a well. common reaction, common yeah.
1: response. Yeah, I think it is a common reaction. And, you know, it, it, it kind mm. of points out the fact that uh, so many of us, you know, don't realize what optimal health really looks like and feels like. What it and, feels you know, like, yeah. again, we we've repeated this statistic ended endlessly that 88% of us are not metabolically healthy. And so we have just come to accept as normal on un, being unhealthy. And, you know, that might not be as yeah. overt as, you know, being diagnosed with a medical condition, uh, but just, you know, kind of walking around with inflammation, uh, and, uh, you know, that pain in the joints or being tired, you know, these are oftentimes some of the things that we don't realize we're experiencing until we fix them and until then realize we how much better we really can and should feel every day.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm a believer. All right. Uh, let's talk about internal organs. Now I, I have heard this one and In fact, almost every time I talk about uh, following a ketogenic diet, somebody will say to me, well, aren't you worried about, and these these are the things, keto will harm the liver, keto will harm the kidneys, keto will increase your liver fat. I don't believe any of that, but I'm not a doctor. So what's the real story?
1: Yeah. So once again, you know, when you look at the, uh, you know, experience uh, and you look at the scientific literature, what you see is that, you know, ketogenic diets, uh, specifically, I'll say low carbohydrate diets, are one of the most effective treatments for fatty liver disease. And so not only do they not increase liver fat or, you know, liver inflammation, uh, they improve it. Uh, And again, this is a consistent thing that I see with my patients. It's one of the things that I actually measure. Uh, You know, we we look at their levels of fatty liver disease using blood tests and scans, and we consistently see it improve, um, you know, if they are, uh, as their metabolic health is improving, if they are following these diets. So...
0: Can I interrupt you there real quick? Yep. Talk a little bit more about fatty liver disease. I'd never heard of that this until six years ago when a dear friend ended up uh well, she ended up in the hospital and died in less than a week. and apparently she had a severe case of i think it was fatty liver disease is what they said i've never I'd never heard of it till then. I have no idea what that means. Talk sure. a little more about that. I educate me, please.
1: Yeah. So, you know, fatty liver disease is, is actually exactly what it sounds like. And you start to get, you know, fat infiltration into the liver. The liver really shouldn't have any fat in it. Uh, but, um, as we become metabolically unhealthy, one of the things that can happen, um, you know, is you start to get fat in places that it doesn't belong. And one of those places that it will show up, uh, most commonly is in the liver. Um, fatty liver disease, uh, over time, you know, has gone through many different sort of names. It used to be known as basically non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And that was to differentiate it from, uh, the changes that we see with alcoholism that ultimately lead to, uh, cirrhosis, which is actually scarring of the liver. Uh, but it, it will start with, you know, fatty infiltration into the liver. Um, Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, as, as I think it's most commonly referred to these days, uh, has become um, a very common cause of liver failure. Um, it has become now, or is at least close to becoming, the most common indication for liver transplantation in the wow. United States. Um, what we have seen is that the you know the rates of alcohol-induced liver disease had decreased. Uh, hepatitis, which is also another major cause of liver failure. We now have effective treatments for, so the incidence of needing um, liver transplants from hepatitis has gone down, and we are now left with you know diet induced fatty liver disease, which is probably what it should be called, uh, mm-hmm. as one of the leading causes of liver failure in the United States. So it's a very common problem, um, and again, um, you know, the treatment for it is. The primary treatment, the most effective treatment for it, is low-carbohydrate, ketogenic diets. Uh, and I have never seen any evidence to suggest that, you know, these diets are going to worsen liver function or increase, uh, you know, liver fattiness. Uh, so that one, you know, I think we can uh, definitively say is a unfounded myth.
0: So there's your, there's also some blood tests that you do for fatty liver disease. Is that right? Correct.
1: So, you know, um, liver function tests are part of uh, a fairly standard uh, blood work panel, you know, that most physicians are going to get. Most commonly, it's going to be part of something called a comprehensive metabolic panel. Uh, And there are basically three basic, there there are three basic liver tests that we look at. One is called AST, one is called ALT, uh, and the other one is called alkaline phosphatase. And, uh, you know, they're all slightly different measures of liver function. Uh, An important thing to recognize um, when you're going through blood work, you know, if you've gotten it yourself or you're going through it with your doctor, is that, you know, the liver function test, the AST, the ALT, are one of these tests that the normal, what's considered to be the normal range, has increased over time. Um, And again, this goes back to, Um, You know, we define normal on blood tests as what the majority of the population, uh, you know, uh, has, you know, their results are. So normal doesn't necessarily mean optimal. And, you know, if you're at sort of the high end of normal on these tests, I always consider those to be a warning sign because that, you know, will oftentimes correlate with fatty liver disease. And then if you are worried about fatty liver disease, um, you know, the next sort of test that we usually get is going to be a, uh, ultrasound of the liver. Um, actually, you know, looking at the liver and you can start to see these, this, uh, fatty infiltration. There are some more specialized tests, uh, that, uh, you know, you can do as well. Um, but those are sort of the basics.
0: And an ultrasound's super easy. That's not yeah right.
1: ultrasound is non invasive super easy it won't always detect fatty liver disease uh they have newer types of ultrasound that uh um uh there is something called a fibro scan uh that uh is is a more you know specific it's still non invasive uh it's done similar to an ultrasound but it, it it's looking at some different uh ways to measure the liver by uh, ultrasound that can uh, be more sensitive for fatty liver disease.
0: I want to follow this rabbit just a little farther down the trail because it affected me personally. Are there what let's talk about what the dangers from fatty liver disease are. What can happen? My friend, I think She'd been in the hospital three months earlier with severe dehydration, um, and she was very obviously not healthy. But she went from, I think we got the call on a Friday afternoon, and she was gone by Tuesday morning. Um you know she was in the hospital on Friday put in the hospital on Friday and was gone by Tuesday morning so obviously rapid onset of death is one of the one of the things you can can be aware of but let's assume you don't have it quite so bad what are the what else is going on with fatty liver disease what are you what's the experience of it
1: yeah so you know there's really two issues with fatty liver disease there's the problem with the liver itself and then there's the larger problem that it indicates is going on. Um, So, you know, within the liver itself, we know that a fatty liver disease continues to progress. And, you know, uh, this is usually a a long-term process over many years. um, You're eventually going to end up with scar tissue in the liver. uh, That can lead to a condition we call cirrhosis that I mentioned before, where, you know, now your liver is no longer able to function adequately. Uh, the liver, you know, has many important roles in the body uh, in terms of filtration and making hormones. And so, you know, liver failure uh, ends up having widespread effects throughout the body and, and certainly hormones. can can lead to death. Hormones? Uh, yeah, the liver is involved in, uh, you know, the process of... Uh, uh, cholesterol, making cholesterol and recycling cholesterol, um, cholesterol gets turned into many of the hormones in our body. Uh, so the liver, the liver turns out to be very important for many of the functions, uh, you know, in our body. And, uh, if your liver fails, uh, you, you can't live without a liver. Uh, so that's why we start talking about things like liver transplant and, and things like that. Um, the other problem with fatty liver disease is just that it's an indicator of, you know, poor metabolic health. And again, you know, that, that also implies that you're at high risk for things like heart disease and, and, you know, many forms of cancer and diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. So it is not uncommon that people with fatty liver disease have these other issues as well, um, which, you know, can, progress and, and become life-threatening. So, they you know, fatty liver disease, together. yeah, fatty liver disease in and of itself is a problem, uh, but it's also a warning sign um, about a, uh, you know, uh, about other things that are going on within the body. And it's it's one of those unfortunate situations where sometimes those dots don't get properly connected and someone will say, yeah. oh, well, you just have fatty liver disease and, and you know, they kind of, don't pick up on those other uh problems that may be coming down the line.
0: Well, I I got to say listeners um don't fool around with that. This was a young woman. Shouldn't have happened. All right, uh and then uh when it comes to kidneys, I've I've also heard the same thing. Oh, eating all that protein's going to hurt your kidneys. Right. What's so, the story?
1: yeah, the, the kidney issue comes up a lot with ketogenic type diets, uh, and it it is usually discussed in the context of high protein. Um, again, one of these, you know, really, I'll say medical dogmas, you know, that I heard very frequently throughout my, you know, uh, medical school education and my early career was that, you know, eating too much protein is damaging to the kidneys. Uh, and again, when we actually look at the science, when we look at the studies, we find the opposite to be true. Um, you know, there are studies that have shown that, you know, high protein diets uh, can actually improve kidney function. And there is really no good evidence that protein in and of itself is damaging to the kidneys. Uh, there, there are kind of two reasons that I think this myth came into uh, being. One is that one of the blood tests that we use to measure kidney function commonly, it's called the creatinine, uh, the blood creatinine level, um, can get elevated um, if you eat a lot of protein. And I I find this is especially true of people when they first start, you know, kind of high protein diets. Um, And but it turns out that creatinine, you know, is not the most direct measurement, I guess you can say, of kidney function, and in that situation, it's often the case that the creatinine is elevated, but it's not actually correlating to uh, poor kidney function. Uh, there is another blood test that can be used. Um, it's not as common, but you know your doctor can order it. It's called uh, cystatin C. Uh, so cystatin dash the letter C, um, and that measures kidney function more directly without the influence of protein intake. Uh, so, you know, oftentimes I'll have people who, you know, reach out to me or, you know, I'll see it in my patients as well, that their creatinine goes up when they first start these high, higher protein diets. And then we just check the cystatin level and we see that their kidney function is just fine. And typically over time, the creatinine level starts to come back down as well. Um The other, you know, issue is just that, um, you know, as when you look at, you know, kind of consumption patterns over the past 30 to 40 years, uh, you know, protein, um, specifically meat, we could say, is, is not being consumed by itself, you know. Yeah, The most common way, you know, probably in the U.S. that people consume meat is as a hamburger, um, which includes the bun and all the toppings and the French fries that were, you know, fried in vegetable and seed oils and the, you know, sugary beverage with it. And so you put all this together and you end up with poor metabolic health, which does negatively affect the kidneys as well. And the meat got blamed, uh, but it really wasn't the protein or the meat. (laughs) Uh, so again you know pretty consistent finding that i find that people who you know do uh you know whole real food diets ketogenic type diets um that i you know advocate for uh all of their functions get better which includes the kidneys and the liver and you know as you go through each of these individual really organs we talked about the heart you know last the heart and the brain on the last episode it's really hard to Picture or scenario where our bodies would have evolved in such a way that, you know, something that is beneficial for, you know, one part of our body is going to be harmful to another part of our body. Uh, And, uh, you know, especially when you look at the foods that we evolved eating. And again, these were the whole real foods that, you know, uh, should be eaten, you know, on a ketogenic diet it's really hard to believe that our bodies would have evolved in such a way that, you know, these foods would be damaging to particular organs. Yeah.
0: Um, question occurred to me, what other disease conditions or pathologies would cause elevated creatinine? Did I say that right?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there is a long list of things that, uh, can, you know, lead to kidney damage. Uh, You know, I would say the two most common ones are high blood pressure and diabetes. Uh, Both often, you know, times uh, are associated with, you know, kidney problems and uh, worsening kidney function. And when you look at people who end up in kidney failure and end up on dialysis, those are probably the two most common reasons that people end up on dialysis. And, um, you know, what we know about diabetes and high blood pressure, they are both, you know, signs of poor metabolic health. They are actually, as we've said many times, two of the five measures of metabolic health. One of them is blood pressure, and one of them is your fasting blood glucose level, which is obviously going to be abnormal in diabetics. So, um, again, you know, even if you, you know, think that, High protein may have some negative effects on the kidney. You have to look at the net benefit there. And if you're reversing diabetes and you're, you know, improving high blood pressure, both of which are common things that occur with people who improve their metabolic health with these diets, um, it's hard, you know, that is certainly going to be a net positive to your kidney function. And, um, you know, the overall evidence, the overall experience is that these diets do not harm kidney function and probably improve kidney function.
0: I know for, for the non-believers, it probably sounds like, Hey, eating this way is the solution to all your problems. And that's not really what we're saying, but eating this way will certainly fix an awful lot of your problems. If your problems are related to uh, messed up metabolism, poor metabolic health, poor metabolic health is what what lies at the at the root of so many of these common diseases that that America is dealing with now.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those areas that I oftentimes need to check myself on because I do start to question, you know that I start to sound like a, a a charlatan, you know, that, you know, almost every condition can be improved by improving your metabolic health. But then it turns out that almost every condition can be improved by improving your metabolic health. And, you know, the more you, you know, the more I work with patients, the more I go to the, the you know, the medical conferences, I, I look at the, you know, kind of online community and the experiences. And it turns out that, you know, the list of conditions that you can find people have improved, you know, using these dietary strategies, uh, just keeps getting longer and longer and longer.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I know lots of stories like that. Um, so the, the last one, and this is, uh, actually it's a couple here. Um, I I've heard that I've been told you can't, do keto if you're uh, engaged in some kind of training where you want to build muscle because keto will cause muscle loss and related to that, keto will negatively affect your bone density. Um, I've heard, I've heard the muscle loss thing. Haven't heard the bone density thing from anybody till now. What's the story there? I assume those things are related.
1: Yeah, they're, they're related and they, they both are uh, false as well. So, um, you know, when we look at uh, building muscle and actually when we look at bone health, it turns out that, you know, protein is exceedingly important for both of them. Um, and so, you know, again, it's hard to conceive that a high protein diet, which most ketogenic diets are, um, would be damaging. Now, if we go back to the original ketogenic diet that was developed in the 1920s to treat kids with epilepsy, mm-hmm. um, that actually was a protein-restricted diet. And so that did seem to have effects on, uh, you know, kids' muscle growth, uh, you know, probably kids, kids' bone growth as well. And so, you know, low-protein ketogenic diets, um, there may be some concerns around that. But the reality is, is that low protein ketogenic diets only need to be used in very specific, you know, uh, medical conditions. And it it may be the lesser of two evils, you know, with that, um, uh, you know, uh, in, in those situations. Um, so, you know, but again, protein and, uh, or I'm sorry, muscle growth and bone, uh, Health, bone maintenance uh, are both heavily dependent on protein. And the vast majority of people I know that are transitioning from you know a kind of standard American Western diet to a ketogenic you know type diet are increasing their protein intake, uh, and therefore you know are going to be benefiting their bone health, their muscle health, their mo- muscle health specifically around the weightlifting question, you know. Um, whether or not, you know, this basically comes down to whether or not you need carbohydrates uh, for effective, uh, you know, muscle uh, building. And again, the the answer is certainly no for the vast majority of us. Um, it is possible that if you are truly going for, you know, high level, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Olympia, you know, type uh, bodybuilding, that it may be useful to incorporate, you know, clean, minimally processed carbohydrates uh, when doing that. Uh, But for the vast majority of us who are just trying to, you know, maintain a decent amount of muscle as we get older, uh, because that, as we've discussed on the show, is a big predictor of quality of life and length of life, life is, you know, how well you maintain muscle as you uh, age um, carbohydrates are certainly not necessary, uh, for us. And, you know, we can point to many examples of, uh, you know, very fit individuals, people who have significantly increased their muscle mass, uh, on, you know, ketogenic low carbohydrate diets. We've had, uh, two of them, you know, on the show that I can think of oh, offhand, yeah. you know, Chris, Chris Cornell, uh, Chris and, Golly. Yep, and, uh, you know, uh, PD Mangum uh, or both, uh, oh, yeah. you know, in their fifties and sixties, and have significantly increased their muscle mass while doing these types of diets. So um, I have no concerns and uh, no reason to think that uh, these ketogenic diets are going to be harmful to um, to either either muscle health, we'll call it muscle building, or bone building and bone health.
0: Well, we know that if you're doing um, if you're if you're doing weight training, um, one of the side effects of weight training is increased bone density. So I guess I guess people who think that a keto diet negatively affects your ability to grow muscle would then naturally just assume that it also negatively affects your bone density. But it's probably just one of those utter and complete Ansel Keys types of 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 stories, I wanted to follow up with uh, this. What was it? The early twentieth century when they were treating epilepsy with protein restricted ketogenic diets. What the heck is that? How do you do that? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, so, you know, uh, basically, I mean, it's not that you don't eat any protein, it's just that you eat, um, you know, a lot of fat, uh, with your protein. So, um, you know, the, the, like you're, you're eating butter
0: and cheese. Yeah. You're
1: eating butter. You're eating very fatty cuts of meat. Um, you know, uh, today, you know, uh, coconut oil will oftentimes be used MCT oil. Uh, so, you know these are um, ketogenic diets. Uh, you know, with you know, like I said, kind of excessive amounts of fat. And the concern is is that you know some protein does get converted to uh, glucose um, and can lower your level of ketosis. Um, especially, you know, I, I see this most commonly in people who are lean. They don't have a lot of body fat, you know, uh, to burn. They're not eating you know a lot of fat uh so if they're eating more of a high protein you know ketogenic type diet um what we see is that their blood ketone levels are going to run you know kind of at low levels they'll still be in ketosis but they're not getting that kind of high level of blood ketones uh that really? are necessary uh you know for these children with epilepsy you know many of these children with epilepsy um, need to maintain very high blood ketone levels, uh, to, you know, effectively keep their seizures, okay. uh, under control. And so that the makes... way to do that is to really push a lot of fat and, you know, they minimized the protein intake, um, to, uh, be able to, you know, get all that fat basically. right? It's probably not diet. so much
0: that they're trying to keep the protein down, as that, the, given the amount of fat that they need to get into them, if they add anything else to it, they're going to get into a, a excessive calories situation and just start putting on weight, maybe. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Could, and, that makes sense now. Yeah, it really was, like I said, just that concern that you really want to, you know, if you want to get as high a blood ketone level as possible, the way to do that is to make the the majority of your diet fat. Uh, and so, you know, these kids were eating, um, you know, like 80% of their calories came from fat, uh, and, you know, only 20% is coming from protein, which, you know, ends up being a lowish amount of protein. Uh, and so some of those kids, you know, you did see some, um, uh, you know, slowing of their growth or, or, you know, they would fall behind on their growth curves and that then got. Carried through to you know the modern ketogenic diet that that data gets pulled out and you know uh, as look you know look what ketogenic diets do to growth look what they do to muscle and bone uh, but the reality is is that most people doing ketogenic diets these days are are nowhere near those levels of fat intake and hopefully not doing such a low level of protein because you know I certainly encourage my patients and I think many if not most of the you know kind of uh, ketogenic practitioners out there uh encourage protein intake and uh you know make sure that their patients get enough protein
0: very good well i think you've uh, there's probably some more misconceptions uh, wrapped around uh, a diet such as a ketogenic diet i think we've probably hit the big ones uh, Dr. Ovadia, if people want to ask you more questions about the ketogenic diet, what's the best way to do that? Would it be on Twitter?
1: Yeah, Twitter is where I'm usually most responsive to uh, questions. And again, my uh, I'm at iFixHearts on Twitter, and my DMs are open, and people can always reach out to me with questions there.
0: Yeah, I'd like to recommend, folks, if you've got questions about uh, any other pathologies or problems associated with being on a ketogenic diet hit Twitter, DM uh, Dr. Ovedia, I fix hearts and uh, ask those questions. That will allow all of us who follow him to, to get the benefit of the answers. All right well I think that's a good one for today unless you've got anything else you want you want to discuss.
1: Uh, No, I hope everyone, you know, found this week and the the prior week uh, useful. And, you know, every once in a while, uh, I think moving forward, we'll do some of these sort of uh, ask me anything type uh, episodes. Uh, So, again, you know, please uh, send in your questions. And, uh, you know, if I don't answer them directly and even if I do answer them directly on Twitter, uh, you know, we'll we'll bring them to the podcast as well.
0: Yeah, that'd be a good, good idea. We'll do a, a, a Q&A from listeners uh, episode. All right. Well, for Dr. Philip Ovedia, I'm Jack Heald. This is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. If you would like to do a self-assessed metabolic health test, I suggest you go to Dr. Ovedia's website, ifixhearts.co. Uh, go ahead and take that test he's got there. That'll get you started on your path to metabolic health.